Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines a brand new podcast from The Independent. I'm Ben Kelly, and each episode we'll be speaking to our correspondents and other experts to better understand what is happening around us across the worlds of politics, culture, sport, and more. As ever, this week's news has been dominated by the latest coronavirus stories, but alongside that, another old news favourite has crept back into view. Yes, you guessed it, Brexit. Or life after Brexit, to be more specific. This week, we've had the first glimpse of the government's advertising campaign to get the country Brexit ready. We've heard from the Home Secretary about her immigration plans, and we've learned what travel will be like for Brits heading to Europe after the transition period. To discuss this all more, I'm joined by our policy correspondent, John Stone, and our trusty travel correspondent, Simon Calder. Uh, Gentlemen, you're very welcome. John, I'll come to you first. Uh, let's talk about this campaign the government is set to launch. The UK's new start, let's get going. It all sounds very positive. Am I right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say that's actually the main characteristic of the campaign. It, it's um, it, If you weren't aware of what the changes were and if you didn't read the details, you might it, you might make it sound like they were announcing something that was very good and you you know you might expect to gain something out of it. Um, but when you plunge down into the details, it's uh, it's not fantastic. It's really telling people about things that will get more inconvenient, things that you'll lose. I'm, I'm sure Simon on the travel on the travel end of it will get into the details specifically of what it means for travellers. But um, politically and in, in policy terms, it's it's really just a load of new restrictions uh, coming in, framed as a uh, as a sort of uh, quite upbeat thing. It does actually make me wonder a little bit whether it's um, the right framing because it, it might be politically convenient for the for the government to to sort of to put this as a positive thing, you know, not get ready for this terrible policy we're bringing in. But will people actually pay that much attention to a positive campaign if if they think it's good? They might think, well, I can take advantage of this when I need to, rather than I definitely need to get something sorted so that I'm not stuck at a border at midnight or something like that. Yeah, so it's all very, yeah, let's get ready, but it's about sort of red tape and border checks. And, you know, it, it, it's more of a, a prep for, as you say, the, the the negative things that are coming with it. But you could argue this was always going to happen, wasn't it? it was, we were always going to face the realities. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, one, one comment that I saw that I thought, 
um, thought summed it up quite well was that the essentially if you delve into the detail of this, you know, uh, the return of roaming charges. Um, there, there's a there's a potential that people might have to um, to sort of uh, fill in a sort of mini visa at some point down the line. That that's not coming in straight away, and Simon might elaborate on that later. But it actually reads a little bit like something that might have been written by the Remain campaign in like April 2016 or something like that. It's uh, it's <laughs> it, it's kind of like a list of uh, you know Project Fear sort of coming through, but presented in quite a nice upbeat package. Uh, with uh with you know the i mean i'm looking at a i'm looking at one of the billboards they've got here and it's got a a very happy looking guy <laughs> smiling and leaning on the edge of a ferry i don't know why he's happy about uh potentially having to fill in uh, a load of export summary declarations uh, but the, uh, the only reason i can think that he would be happy is um because of the fantastic opportunity to buy duty free um now you guys are obviously too young to remember um the world before the year 2000 but i funnily enough do and yes you that the, the um, duty-free business was so lucrative that you actually had ferry companies paying people to go to Calais and back, not getting off the boat, none of that going, messing around with all that funny foreign food and garlic and strange cigarettes and everything. You would just be on the boat in order to pick up your duty-free and then come back. And they knew that uh, you would be uh, so, so, um, uh, you'd be so delighted you spend a fortune and that would make it worth them running the ferry. So uh, he, that's the only reason why anybody I can possibly see would take any joy from this at all. And that's a fairly narrow band, actually, of people who just want um, a limited quantity of cheap uh, spirits and tobacco. That's so sorry if i may that's a very that's actually a very good point Simon. that, that i actually yeah that i hadn't focused on and, and i do wonder in your in your view do you so obviously we still have um shops that are kind of branded as duty-free like world duty-free and stuff there's one in the eurostar uh departure center i think it was added quite recently do you think that these places are going to pass on the savings to consumers is that likely to happen oh, oh look here's how the actual real duty-free world works um at the moment uh when you go to um brussels airport or paris charles de gaulle or frankfurt or barcelona or wherever you will be invited as you are boarding just before you board your uh, uh flight to the uk to be to, to buy so-called duty-free of course it's not because um still during the transition phase we are in the customs union and that means that there is no actual uh mm duty saving to be made however there are cross-border savings which have always been in place you know it is the fact that uh, in some countries particularly um belgium i used to get my all my tobacco cheap from there um and uh, the very high duty on spirits in the uk means it's generally worth buying those things what happens with actual duty free and this applies if for example you're going to switzerland or norway um the duty uh, and VAT on those products is zero. And that actually means that they could sell you a bottle of very decent whiskey for three pounds and probably still make a profit, but they'll prefer to sell it to you for 15 pounds and still make a profit. So uh, they certainly won't be paying on passing on um, uh, very much of the savings, but um, it will still be cheaper than it is now in that very limited case. Interesting. So, so that sort of uh, covers some of the personal stuff. And certainly we know our chap's going to be very happy with the cigarettes. But um, 
looking on on a bigger scale in terms of businesses, uh, John, what can businesses take from uh, what you've learned so far from uh, the government? So, um, t- to be honest, they they've not had a very long time to prepare. So, the the government actually announced. If it, if the main businesses that will be affected are those that are importing and exporting across uh, into into or out of the European Union, and um, they'll they're basically going to have to fill in quite a lot of extra uh, paperwork. Uh, it's uh, they'll they'll have export summary declarations, entry declarations. Um, there may even be, depending on what happens at the end of talks this year. Um, tariffs to pay, although um, the the government has said that if there are, they won't be. Uh, they w- there'll be a sort of delay of about six months. It's um, basically not. It's a bit strange for the government to be launching a campa- an information campaign when actually a lot of the information for businesses still isn't entirely clear. Um, that's what you'll get if you talk to anybody. I, I was talking to the Pharmaceuticals Association yesterday, and they were saying, well, we don't know. It depends on negotiations. The port authorities will tell you much the same. It really depends whether a free trade agreement's in place. So for so for travellers, we do know mostly what's going to happen. But for businesses, it's still very uncertain. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, they're still worried about that. And really, the, the government's sort of decision to go right up to the line has uh, basically made that happen. It's not something that needed to needed to happen. If they'd kind of extended talks and said, we're going to take this slowly, then there might have been a bit more, uh, a, a little bit more space to uh, give businesses time to prepare after the fundamentals were settled down. I mean, John, you and I, are, we're, you know, Simon's very kind in saying that we're young, but we, we are old enough to remember the uh, the last campaign, which was to prepare for a no-deal Brexit. And that was just last year. Um, and then that kind of, you know, didn't need to go through in the end. Um, could that one be sort of dragged back out again and then repolished if we if we get closer to the deadline? Yeah, so that's, that's actually a really interesting thing to consider, that last campaign, because um, essentially what happened there was, a lot of businesses prepared for the possibility of a no deal, which cost them a lot of money. So they had to do things like uh, store up extra inventory in case there was disruption. Um, some of this might have been perishable. Um, they they had to you know put in new uh, new procedures in place, new checks. They had to do all. They had to basically review all the regulations. It, it cost these guys quite a bit of cash, um, and then it didn't happen. And um, I mean, if you've ever worked, (laughs) run a business or worked near a business, I mean, uh, you'll know that businesses don't really like spending money when they don't have to. It's it's rather the point of running a business is to to make money, not to spend it. And um, so that actually um, the uh, that's an issue this time because they've basically, you know, uh, a lot of these companies have. There was an issue getting people to prepare in the first place. A lot of businesses, there was an estimate that you know. Many of them weren't ready, but those that did prepare basically got stung. Um, so now they're being asked to look at it again. It's a little bit sort of fool me once, like, well, you know, should we really prepare and spend all this money and get stung again, or should we just sort of chance it like the others? So there's there's two risks. There's one risk that more more businesses will be encouraged not to prepare for the situation, and that means that if there is a no deal, um, there'll be even more disruption because fewer people will be ready, fewer businesses will be ready. Um, and it also means that um, if, if they do prepare and there isn't a no deal, you know, all these extra costs are in place. 
one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Simon, I'm going to turn to you because, um, you know, many of us have been temporarily concerned this year with our holidays being cancelled or made more difficult because of the coronavirus pandemic. But this week, you've written that British travellers can face, and I quote, the worst possible outcome uh, after the Brexit transition period, which is the end of this year into next year. What can we expect there? Uh, Well, it starts really before you get to the airport in the sense that... um, Well, um, John mentioned the possibility of visas. Those aren't going to be coming in uh, this year or next year, but almost certainly from 2022. And this is something we've known about actually since well before the um, uh, Brexit uh, talks and everything else. It was being discussed in Europe when we were a member. So before the referendum, the electronic um, travel information and authorization system. And this is basically a a copy of the US Esther scheme. So it's an online, what I'm going to call it a a Euro visa, Um, although technically it's not actually a visa, but it's something you need, you will need to get before you go even on your your booze cruise to Calais if you're getting off the boat. Um, And it basically costs about, I think, seven euros is the cost, so six pounds, um, and it's valid for three years. But you have to fill in really quite a lot of intrusive detail, including about your health, your education, um, criminal convictions, and so on. Uh, So that's going to be very, very different. But in the immediately from the 1st of January, well, let's begin with passports because you may well not be able to get in even if your passport shows that it's all got almost 15 months of validity. Um, one of the strange things about the Schengen area, which is in, encompasses almost all the EU countries plus a few hangers-on, uh, Norway, Sweden, uh, forgive me, Switzerland, um, Iceland, and of course, plucky Liechtenstein, um, they're perfectly happy for the UK to have passports valid for more than 10 years while we're a member. But as soon as we're not, they say we do not recognise any document as being valid once it's um, 
more than 10 years old. So you've got this bizarre thing where the UK um, used to have a really good idea, which was that um, we're going to give people credit for unspent time on their passports. So your passport um, was due to expire on the 31st of December. Um, you renew it on the uh, uh, 31st of March and they give you a, a passport valid for 10 years and nine months, which is great. Um, but not for the Schengen uh, countries. And that means that any passport issued more than nine months and nine years and six months ago, I hope you're following this, there'll be a test afterwards, um, is not regarded as valid. And um, unfortunately, the uh, the government in their official message got a couple of things wrong and I immediately got onto them. I, I'm just actually checking. Um, they they uh, said your passport had to be valid for um, no more than 10 years, but it's um, un unfortunately more complicated than that. They even said you need a passport for Ireland. And of course, that's not the case either. Uh, so the message, which isn't great, was also inaccurate. Um, in the unlikely event that you're actually allowed onto a plane to go to Europe, well, yes, you step off the plane, bing, your phone lights up um, and says, welcome to France or wherever. Um, and at the moment, of course, because we're in the or we're in the transition period, still pretending to be in the European Union, it's great because you you get uh, uh, free roaming access. It's Rome uh, like you're at home is the uh, the EU slogan, and it's one of the many many benefits of um, EU membership. So uh, that may or may not stay on. So it all depends who you're talking to. Um, three, the mobile provider, who've actually done quite a lot in terms of free roaming in lots of places, say, no, nope, it's all going to be the same. EE say they're talking to, I think, 140 different um, mobile phone operators around Europe to try to negotiate deals for it to stay in place. But it's all a bit shaky. Um, now, if you happen to have a uh, a pet, well, start planning now. A dog, a cat, or indeed, Ben, I think you have a ferret, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you're going to have to start planning four months ahead for a trip to Europe because it's still not clear what the veterinary rules will be. I mean, it is certain that they will be tougher than they are now. But I think the thing which is really going to hurt a lot of people more than anything else it's not simply faff and um, expense and red tape. It's the uh, abandonment of the principle of reciprocal healthcare, which has been around even since before we joined the European Union. Um, the idea that you fall ill in France, in Spain, in Italy, um, you can get treatment um, more or less free at a local public hospital. And that is to be abandoned. We learned this week. So the European Health Insurance Card valid only until the 31st of December. Now, it's possible. Um, some countries like uh, Portugal have hinted that they may actually allow us to uh, be treated in public hospitals, even though there's no reciprocal agreement in place. But for the vast majority of British travellers who rely on EHIC either to reduce their insurance costs or they just use it instead of insurance, well, it's going to be pretty bleak. Um, typically, uh, I've been speaking to lots of people like this, older retired people will go and spend months over the winter from um, uh, maybe October through to March somewhere lovely in southern Spain or Portugal or Italy or whatever. And they don't need insurance. They just rely on on EHIC. Um, but 
the first uh, surprise is that they won't be able to spend five months there because of the limits on the amount of time we'll be able to spend there, 90 days in 180. And the other one is that, um, uh, well, go over there and get your travel insurance, which is likely, by the way, to increase in cost because the insurance companies made a saving by uh, insisting on the use of EHICS. So um, that's, I think, actually, uh, strangely going to... Um, affect a lot of people perhaps in the older age bracket perhaps who voted for brexit and i absolutely uh, salute john's uh, assessment of this is yes and um, what what project fear might have put out in april 2016 um and which was um, immediately uh, uh rubbished by by the leave um uh, uh-huh. side yeah. Yeah. And that uh, takes me back to I was going to go back to John and just say, you know, John, looking this uh, from a more political perspective now, um, are people going to be happy that this is what they voted for? Or is there going to be a lot of Remainers saying, I told you so? And Leavers kind of saying, well, you know, this is the price of, of our exit from the EU. Are those lines going to sort of fall back into the old two tribes? I think we can certainly, I, I don't like to predict the future, but one thing I think we can be certain of is that there'll be a lot of Remainers saying, I told you so, um, as they've been saying it since uh, uh, for a long time now already. Uh, but whether public opinion will change, I don't know. I think a lot of people may or may not be directly affected by this. I think the share of blame might be see it might you know there's there's a sort of narrative that europe is brussels is punishing the uk for deciding to leave there's not quite uh, an acceptance of the idea that um that this is a that this is a necessary consequence of the government's decisions and to be fair it isn't a necessary consequence of brexit you, you could leave the eu and keep a lot of these advantages so um simon mentioned before that um the uh that norway is uh uh in the schengen area um i know firsthand that you can use an ehic in uh norway a friend of mine got a hernia there a while ago it's not a member of the european union but it's a member of the single market and the customs union and it signs up to a lot of um sorry not the customs union but um it, but the single market and it signs up to a lot of eu regulations and um particularly on uh, uh border uh, borderless travel and um it would have been entirely possible to have a close relationship with the European Union and to leave. And indeed, this the government did recognise this at the beginning, actually. A lot of these things, so roaming, EHIC, these are all things that if you'd asked the government about it, about them in the last, at any point really since 2016, until they were confirmed to be going, they would have said to you, oh, that's a matter for the future relationship. That will be negotiated in the future relationship. And actually, one thing that that's done is it's sort of softened the political blow of them disappearing because of these advantages disappearing because there's not there wasn't really a definitive point where you could say, oh, that's not happening. That's not happening. Um, or by the time it did, it was kind of, by the time there was a definitive point, like maybe last week when EHIC was fully, fully confirmed. Um, it was kind of it was kind of assumed anyway, and it wasn't really seen as as much of a story. Um, and, and in that respect, you know, um, when it did come to the future relationship, essentially on every call, the government's decision has been, oh, well, if there's a choice between being close to the EU and being far away from the EU, we'll be far away and we won't get this advantage and we'll have, in their, in their view, is that they'll have more flexibility to set their own policies. The flexibility really comes in 
in, at a sort of a at sort of a governmental level in terms of negotiating trade deals and things like that. And you know, you can debate whether or not those advantages outweigh uh, outweigh the disadvantages. But there certainly won't be any benefit for individual travellers apart from, as Simon says, duty free, which is. Um, uh, but but really, in terms of the rights, there isn't really a sort of thing that replaces it. Whether that will have an effect on public opinion, it's it's very difficult to say. I think I think the battle lines are so drawn on this. I wouldn't be expecting some sort of sea change uh, when, when it happens. Can can I just pick up on that actually? Because I am genuinely astonished at the response that since I put out what was basically a factual, well, obviously completely just a factual analysis of everything that the government put out, I have been given an absolute roasting on social media. Um, here we are. One's just popped up now. I used to respect your point of view, but it seems you're just another Ramona. Um, you fell for you EU propaganda too. Um, what intrigues me is that, of, of course, this is entirely based on what the government says is going to happen. And yet it seems to be that there are an awful lot of Leave voters who are still describing it as Project Fear. At what stage, given your political antennae, John, do people think, um, uh, actually, oh, yeah, we, we uh, <laughs> it is as bad as people said it would be, Um uh, if at all, uh, or do they just blame the EU? And also, Ben, see, there's going to be this this two-tier uh, nation after this because you are entitled to an Irish passport, which gives you full rights um, anywhere in the EU. And, um, John, I don't think we are, are we? No, unfortunately not. My, my dad's from Wales, which is probably the last Celtic nation that's going to go independent. So I, I won't be won't be getting one for for many decades, I imagine. <laughs> I and I have to say, I already have mine, so I am sorted out. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really it's a really interesting and difficult question, and I think the only real answer is that it will depend on the individual person. I think I think if you look at polls, there is actually a substantial, uh, a relatively slim, but nonetheless a minority of people who did vote for Brexit who have changed their minds about it. Um, you know, there haven't really been that many voting intention polls recently for referendum. But well, well, we had a general election not not that uh, well seven months ago, um, and that was overwhelmingly get Brexit done. And um, so true, presumably, yeah. the majority of people should be delighted. It's true, although um, you know, there uh, it's the um, the in terms of the polls for if another referendum were held today, it, you're sort of we were consistently seeing that share drop below fifty percent. The answer is a lot more complicated when it's a question of would you like to rerun the referendum or um, uh, or that, and it's also worth pointing out that you know uh, the government say if it say if it gets you know forty five percent of the vote in a general election that's a, that's enough to win a massive majority in a general election, but not necessarily to um, uh, to win. Well, it's certainly not not enough not not enough votes to win a referendum because it's less than fifty percent, but it's. Um, uh, so, so yeah, uh, I think you can say there's a there's still a huge and substantial constituency of people who are convinced Brexit's a fantastic idea. Maybe they're aware of the drawbacks and they don't care, or maybe they're not aware of the drawbacks. Maybe they don't think that the drawbacks will necessarily apply to them. Perhaps they don't go abroad that much, um, or um, you, you know, perhaps they think it's a price worth paying. But um, I think it's. Uh, yeah, there, there, there has been a slight receding, but I don't think you'll see that constituency actually disappear, and especially while it's essentially in power, where the government, you know, it's the, the government's main political constituency, and and they'll be making and they'll basically be pushing that agenda relatively hard for a, for a long time. I think. 
Uh, this is all quite disappointing, I think, um, it, in the sense that obviously uh, uh, it, it sounds as though there is not going to be um, some kind of turning of the tide. Sorry, I say that obviously from the point of view of somebody who um, loves travel and uh, uh, therefore, um, despite the many flaws of the European Union, voted to remain in it. Um, and I, I, I kind of just imagined that from the from new year's day when people realize just what they're getting there might actually be a kind of okay well look come on let's uh, we, we, yeah this is ridiculous we've thrown away all these things we've enjoyed for the last 40 years um can we can we get some of them back please presumably it's not you know that the, yeah. the, the the only cost is um is political as opposed to economic um but but you're saying that that's not going to happen john well, I'm not saying it's impossible. I can't predict the future, but um, it's my sort of feeling of how things have gone. I think I think it's just got so entrenched uh, as an identity thing. I think we've, in a lot of areas of politics, we've seen a situation where uh, it's the the facts on the ground don't maybe don't matter as much as they used to, or, or maybe they never mattered that much at all. Um, I mean, the, the government, through, through covering the, the talks process, the government has essentially been saying black is white um, on a lot of issues. I mean, Boris Johnson stood there during the election and said on the question of the RSC that there would be no customs checks on the RSC. And he's still not really personally come out and said it. The government admits it through back channels. Officials will tell you, yes, there'll be checks on the RSC or you'll need to do, you know, it's certainly in one direction. Um, and there's debate about whether they'll be in both directions. In terms, this is about moving goods across the RSC. But the the prime minister and the people who uh, the the people who are actually paid attention to, um, you know, are very happy to downplay these disadvantages. I mean, we turning back to the advertising campaign, we can see the framing of it. It's not, re- you know, it's not a sort of humble admission that this is what you're losing. It's here's your great opportunity to uh, to small print have to pay more for your mobile phone bill and health insurance. It's, I, don't, I think if we're, ever, if, we're, if we're expecting an honest reckoning on this, I think it, you know, if there is a shift in public opinion, it'll be a lot more subtle than that and a lot more messy. I, I can't ever see there being a, a kind of honest reckoning in, in, that, in that respect. But, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong on that, but it's just the way, that I, uh, the way that I've seen the debate go in the past. And, you know, things do change. You know, things have been... Brexit itself came out of the blue, so maybe this could come out of the blue too. Well, uh, certainly we are seeing more and more of the reality of what we can expect. And I think it's important that we do keep looking at it like this, because obviously coronavirus is as big an issue as it is. Um, Brexit's not going away either, and we've got to be aware of it. Um, that's all we've got time for today. So I want to thank you both, John. Thank you. Uh, and Simon, thank you so much. Thank you. If you're a new listener to Behind the Headlines, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. And if there are stories you'd like to hear discussed on the show, then please let us know. You can email behindtheheadlines at independent.co.uk. You can also support this show and original journalism at The Independent by signing up as a supporter. Details uh, are on the description of this podcast. I'm Ben Kelly. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.